0: Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. It happened in South Florida. It happened on Highway 1, a beautiful scenic highway that runs up. Uh, from Miami all the way uh, through, and it's just this beautiful uh, by the ocean on one side and land on the other, and they placed on the side of the road Sally Mullins, 22-year-old actress, dressed her up in five different, uh, how shall I say it, episodes of five different costumes, and they were trying to measure the compassion reaction of the People of South Florida. Now, if the Floridians of South, of the South had known what was happening, I'm sure they would have responded uh, maybe a little quicker, if you will. Uh, but uh, anyway, it is what it is. They, they, they responded according to their own inclinations inside of them. This is what happened. The first outfit, outfit that they put Sally Mullins in was a businesswoman. They put her in uh, a, a nice sports car they dressed her up in a woman's business suit. They put her on the side of the road. They raised the hood on the sports car. 90 seconds later, 62 cars passed, and Bill Leonard stops uh, to assist her. Uh, the second was a soccer mom who was eight months pregnant, driving a minivan. Put her on the side of the road, raised the hood set the timer to see how long it would take for someone to stop. Two and a half minutes this time, 100 cars go by, and Bob and Dorothy Jennings stop to help. The third was an adult, senior adult lady, kind of bent over, arched in the back, bun on the head. Uh, Five minutes later, now 200 cars, double from the last count, 200 cars, Glenn Newell, A 22-year-old co-ed stopped to help someone who looked like his grandmother. Um, Number four, 60s. Got somebody dressed up like a hippie in the 60s, bell-bottom jeans in an orange VW van. I don't even know if you can pop the hood on a VW van. But anyway, put on the side of the road, started the timer. 15 minutes later, 350 cars, and nobody stopped to help this this person out. They had to stop the experiment or she would still be standing on the side of the road. The fifth. Sports car, black miniskirt, high-heeled shoes. The first car in nine seconds, Ed Kent stopped to help Sally Mullins. I don't know what you want to say about that, what you want to say about humanity, how you want to measure the compassion reaction of people whenever they see things. What was the motivation? Was there, was there internal motivations behind Ed Kent versus uh, Bill Leonard or any of the others? There probably was, but that's above my pay grade. But the point is, is that there are things that trigger inside of us that cause us to feel a certain way about a certain people and respond accordingly. And I want to ask you this question. What stirs you to stop your car? When you see somebody in line, again, metaphorically stopping your car, could be just going through the office, could be just in the home, it could be in the neighborhood. What is it that stirs you to stop the car and to get out and to actually lend a helping hand? What is it for you? Because we're all on Highway 1. We're all speeding through life. We're all on a fast track to somewhere, sometimes nowhere, we get self-consumed in the rat race. We get on the rat uh, spinning wheel in our life. And sometimes we fail to connect and to care, to show compassion. Really, that's what compassion is. is whenever I feel and I connect with you and I go out of my way to care for you. It's not just enough to, to feel empathy or to have sympathy for you. But it's literally, I'm going to take initiative yet In reality, not every situation that is in need is sexy and attractive and fun. Sometimes, in fact, all the time, it's necessary, it's noble, it's right, and it's Christ-like. Whenever you look at Jesus and the way he lived his life, he lived to serve us. He prayed and wept over the city of Jerusalem as one who had compassion, the Bible says. When Jesus and John 10, uh, kind of our theme verse for this entire series, John 10, it says, I came, I didn't sit in heaven, look down on poor pitiful humanity. I came to do something. What was that something? That they might have life and they would have it abundantly. So the very actions in life of our Jesus, of our Jesus, our Savior, He was one who came to give life. Zoane Parisos is our, is our, is the title of the series, taking those two words, life and abundant from the Greek language and putting them together. I challenge you on week one, and I want to ask you again this week, I want to ask you again next week, why, what, what if God's vision for your life is greater than your vision for your life? Again, let that sink in, because Jesus came that you would have life and that you would have it abundantly. And are you settling? Are you caught up in some hamster wheel that you can't get off? Is that really the life that God wants for you? I I will say this, I think God's vision for your life is that it would be free and that it would be full. And when I say free, I'm talking about free from 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 the shackles that hold us back, free from from uh, from a life separated from God, free from the chains of sin. Yes, the chains of sin. I mean, Galatians chapter 5 talks about not letting ourselves go back into the slavery of sin. This is uh, the verse that I want us to kind of key in on this. He says, this is eternal life. This is what the life is that Jesus is offering. This is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God. Jesus Christ isn't just a way, he is the only way. He's the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Now, this is Jesus praying his prayer right before he goes to the cross, and he literally quantifies life and qualifies life in this statement. Quantifies it all, obviously, whenever you look at eternal. It starts today. It starts the moment you give your life to Christ. You might die physically, but you will always live spiritually with Jesus. So the life that we speak of, there's a... There's a There's a quantifying element. There's a qualifying element as well. I know God. God knows me. I'm in a relationship with him. Listen, there's a lot of times I will end a service kind of with some kind of an appeal, but I want to start today with an appeal to every single one in this room. That if you don't know the life that Jesus has for you, if you have not experienced that freedom from the shackles that hold us back, if you've not entered into a relationship with Jesus, then right here, right now, do not breathe another breath. Do not pass. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Do not go any further into this message before. Right here and now, you say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I can't figure my life out. I can't get free from the things that hold me back. I'm caught in that rat, rat race, and I'm trying to find purpose and meaning in life, and all along, you are offering life to me. Right here, right now, give yourself to him. Just say it in your own words. I just said a bunch of words there that may be similar to what you may be feeling or thinking, but enter into that relationship. And then tell someone. If you don't know who to tell, don't leave this building without telling Lori or I. We will want to celebrate it with you. But the life is free, but it's also full. Parisos. The the, the idea of an abundance, an idea of a bumper crop, I brought that out the first week, the bumper crop life doesn't mean that you're going to have all the money in the bank and everything, but a life full inside of yourself that even you don't even need the the, the, the full bank account. You don't even need that fancy car, that big home. You don't need that. I mean, if God gives it to you, it's fine. But you don't need that to find joy and satisfaction in life. You have enough in Jesus. Now, how do you, Mikey, how do you come up with this? How do you make that bold proposition? I come from this book right here. This is God's number one tool, the Bible, to shaping our life, to building our life. We talked about it in the month of August. And the whole idea of this book being the, the as it says in Hebrews, it's actually the scalpel that the surgeon would use to cut out the bad and to keep in the good, separating the, the thoughts and the intentions of our heart that's this book. We are, I'm not going to tell you anything that I can't point back with solid assurance that it is in God's Word. But what are we doing with this tool? We're building a foundation. This series, Zoe Parisos, this series is about building a foundation of values, uh, of, of things that you take all the 66 books of the Bible, You take all of the words, you take all the verses, and you want to get down to the brass tacks. You want to get down to the the two, the three most important things. as It is brought out last week so well. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. These things, this is what you're going to build your life on. Building your life. The life that God had for you. The life that God envisions for you. But I want to give another illustration. I know I'm mixing up my metaphors, so hang with me on this. You're smart people. You've heard of the rocks in the jar. You, know, you put the big rocks in first and then you put all the other stuff around it. If you don't put the big rocks in, what happens is you, you do all the little stuff, the menial stuff, the sidebar stuff, the stuff that distracts you, and then you try to do the most important things. Well, you won't have room for it. This is a science experiment. Do it at home if you've never done it. But in you put the big rocks in first the most important things in first, that's what we're talking about building our life. We want to know what those big rocks are. Well, okay, so let's open our Bibles now to, to Mark chapter 12. Big rock number one, knowing God. Number one thing about the number one rock in our life that we have got to get down, it doesn't matter Anything else that you want to put out there. If you don't know God. This is eternal life, John seventeen three. That you know God. That you know him. Number one thing. You cannot, you cannot have anything else there. Now, again, Brett did a great job bringing us back to the Old Testament. Seeing how it all connects to the New Testament. And how Jesus gets posed a question in verse 28. By a scribe by a very religious person, by the scribes are the ones who probably knew as much about the Bible, if not more than the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were about their laws and keeping the laws. The scribes were the ones who were like the seminary professors. So you, you have a scribe asking Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Now, why is that important? Because in the Old Testament, there were given 10 commandments. Which of those is the most important? But the thing is, is you go on and you read the Levitical law and you read Deuteronomy. There's other things that kind of help us live out the Ten Commandments that all total, the Pharisees added on, added on, and all the religious leaders added on, added on. There were 613 laws that helped you live the Ten Laws. So it's like, okay, God, where do I start? He asked the question, what's the most important? What's the most important? What's the biggest rock that I've got to get in there first? And now this, Jesus does something that is totally out of character. If you know anything about Jesus, he's always asked questions 133 times in the New Testament. Yet, he most of the time doesn't answer the questions directly. This is an exception. He didn't want any ambiguity here. Which commandment is the most important of all? That's what the scribe asked Jesus. Jesus said the most important is. Stop right there. He is literally answering it verbatim, hear, O Israel. The Shema is the Hebrew word there, hear. It's the the call to listen and obey and own and let it become a part of you. Don't just hear it with your ears. Hear it with all of who you are. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Again, I'm not going to reteach Brett's message. It's incredible. Go back and watch it again. Somebody even shared with me, they went home and watched it after they heard it. Here's what I want you to see in this, that there is a connection that happens when God comes down to connect with us. How do I enter into this knowing God relationship? God came down to humanity. God stepped out of eternity, he stepped into time. God stepped out of the spirit world, he stepped into flesh and blood and all the limitations of that. He felt all the pain that we feel, all of that. He was God in the flesh coming to us. Now, you compare this against all the other religions or many if not all the religions of the world, I really have to check on that, but most of the major religions... Our, our neighbors across the street. It's all about you getting up to God. What can I do to get up to God? Have I been good enough? Have I done enough? Have I been baptized enough? I've done enough. It's like, it's like this try to get up to God. Try to get up to God. Maybe I'll be there when I die. I won't know. Islam will tell you. I don't know when I go, if I'm going to make it to paradise whenever I die. I don't know that. Only Allah knows that. But what I'm saying is God came to us so that we may know that we have a relationship with God. But it's not just knowing about God. It's actually in a love relationship with God. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Everything that is within you, you love him. Big rock number two. Loving people. Now, this is the hard part. This is really hard. All of it's hard. Because Satan is not going to want you to do any of this. But this is bonus content. I want to point this out. The scribe asked, what's the most important commandment? I'm asking for one, Jesus. Jesus gives him two. Notice that. He goes in verse 30, verse 31 actually. It says, and the second, I didn't ask for two, I asked for one. The second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there are no other commandments greater than these. Why is it so important He asked for one commandment, but he gave him two commandments because you can't truly have one without the other. There is, because of God coming to us and us entering into this relationship with God, now what happens is we have this incredible supernatural ability to love horizontally, to love people beyond us, to love people that... Are our enemies, to love people that are differently than us, who vote differently than us, who believe differently about masks and vaccines than us, we can actually love them. We can actually be in a relationship with them. The people who frustrate us in our lives, we can be in this relationship with them. In fact, I will say it like this. You can, to a degree, love your neighbor, to a degree, and not know God. Okay? But you will only have a human size amount of love. So it's going to have very much limitations on it. But when you enter into a love relationship where God comes down to us and we enter into this relationship, mutual relationship, what happens at that point is I'm now able to love in ways I've never been able to love. I'm able to forgive in ways I've never been able to give. I'm able to serve and step into people's lives like I've never been able to serve people's lives because I have a love relationship with God. It spills over into my love relationship with others. And I also go so far as to say this. You cannot have a knowing God love relationship without having a loving people lifestyle. It's just not possible. And Jesus, I think, affirms this quite clearly in John chapter 13, verse 35. All right? Let's read it all out loud together. Ready? People will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, this time I wanted to read it like we actually believe it, okay? That's kind of a weak voice, okay? I could get the first graders in the building next door and they've been louder than that. All right, are you ready? Here we go. People will know if you have love for one another. I love it that he points out people, people in our life, neighbors in our lives, people in our job, people in our teams, people in our schools, people, people all around us will know that we're his disciples because we went to seminary, we got really smart and we can win in Bible quizzes. No, because we have a love that doesn't look like the world's love. We have a depth, a breath. We have something that this world does not have. This is a great memory verse if you're looking for one this next week to focus on. Let's talk about this supernatural, incredible, God-initiated love that enables us to love outside of ourselves. It's the second commandment that he gives us, two realities of, of this kind of love. Love happens... In messy relationships, embrace the mess. I wish, people have said this, I've said this for all all that matters, that life would be great if it weren't for people. Now, how many times have you thought that or said that don't raise your hands? It's incredible that the people that we love the most are also the ones who hurt us the most. How can that be? We have the hardest time loving sometimes the people that hurt us the most. Hurt people hurt people. We get into relationships with hurt people, then we hurt people, and they hurt us. It's this convoluted, messy stuff. Life would be easier sometimes without people, but the problem is I'm a people. That means without me too. That's not how God designed it. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, Michael Iac- Iac- Iaconelli, I hope I'm saying that right, in his book, S Messy Spirituality, he said, Jesus hung out with prostitutes, tax collectors, adulterers, mental cases, penniless riffraff, losers of all kinds. His disciples, the ones who closest to him, were also troubled with infighting, always jockeying for position, suspicious of each other, accusatory, impulsive, selfish, lazy, disloyal, and doubters of Jesus. And yet they're the Jesus' disciples. That's the kind of quality of people that Jesus had around him. And he loved them. Romans chapter five, verse eight. You might know it. God shows his love toward us in that while we're still messed up, broken, full of ourselves, distracted by the world, in love with things that are not, God's not in love with. He died for us. In our mess and our brokenness, he was there. Jesus dives headfirst into our mess. Jesus didn't come f- looking for the people who all put together. He looked for the people who weren't together. He said, I didn't come for the, the well. I came for the sick, the ones who are struggling through life. That's who I came for. He works his best in our fears, He works his best in our anxiety. He works his best in our dysphoria and our confusions, and he works our best in our brokenness and in our insecurities. He works his best. Robert Chapin said it like this: God doesn't stay at an antiseptic distance from our sin. He meets us in our sin and walks with us through it. He doesn't stay at an antiseptic distance from our sin. Listen, this right here is supernatural. This is supernatural, the vertical relationship with God. But what I'm talking about today, this this horizontal relationship with other people, that's equally supernatural. We live in an incredibly dysfunctional world right now. The amount of shunning, canceling, and ghosting. People, maybe you've been in a relationship for a long time, but it's easier to get up and walk away or to leave or to quit or to cancel or to shun or to ghost someone than to stay in and really believe in the relationship and give grace where grace needs to be given and persevere through the hard times. We become critics and deconstructionist canceling out one another. The church is not that. And we don't just walk away from his bride. We don't just walk away from his church in all of its brokenness. Eugene Peterson has been a major influence in my life in the past decade at least. Probably one of the top pastors that has pastored me in my difficult times. But he says this about the church. He says, our membership in the church is a corollary to our faith in Christ. Here's the church on the horizontal plane. Here's, here's Christ on the, on the vertical, okay? We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. It's a part of the fabric of redemption. Listen, if you don't belong, to a church, man, find that church. If it's not Grace Point, go somewhere else. Find it. I invite you to be a part here. But if you can't all be in, be in wherever you can be. Eugene Peterson said that in the 20th century. Augustine said something very similar in the 4th century. He said, He cannot have God for his father and refuse to have the church for his mother. Yet we shun. We cancel, we ghost, we quit, we switch, we do so much. But all along, he calls us to love our neighbor. Listen, I can have some control over my spouse. 33, no, 33 years ago. Yeah, something like that. Now I'm going to be in trouble. Uh, 33 years ago, we said, I do. I chose her, she chose me. Um we can choose when we want to have kids to a degree that works out. Um, you can choose where you work, who your boss is. You don't like your boss? You can't choose who your cubicle co-mate is. You can't always choose everything. You can, can choose some things. You can never choose your neighbor. Have you ever noticed that you don't get to approve the real estate contract before they sign it? You don't get any input on that. All right? The point is, is, we don't get to choose our neighbors. We don't get to choose who becomes a part of our faith family here. We just get to choose, am I going to love them? Am I going to be with them? We live in an age of rage. Gallup study I read this past week. Listen to this. America is in the top 10 countries in the world as the nation of rage. Not only rage outside, look at all the mass shootings, but rage inside. Whether we're among the most stressed out in the world, we're nearly, we worry constantly, we constantly feel anger inside of us and about us. Listen, you and I both need to be a part of a strong, solid, secure, horizontal relationship that is anchored to the vertical relationship with the God of the universe. And when we do, we will have brothers and sisters in our life who will walk with us, who will help us up when we fall, who will be an ear for us, who will be a prayer partner for us, who will walk with us. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path and be careful that you don't go there yourself. Listen, we can't make this happen, but what we in the leadership of Graceport can do is try to create environments for it to happen. And when I say groups, this is not a sales pitch, this is not a switch to a commercial at all. This is an attempt to say that we're trying to create environments where you and that other family and that other person and that single and that married and that widow that that you who share a relationship with Jesus can be in a love one another horizontal relationship with one another it's going to get messy but embrace the mess number 2 love happens in meaningful through meaningful action roll up your sleeves Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It gives us the standard of self-care, how I self-care for Mike, how I feed, water, clothe, take care of my body and my mind and educate it and secure it. That's the same standard that I should love the people that God puts in my world, in my circle. The way I want people to show patience to me, I should show patience to them. The what? The grace. I love grace. I love when I get grace, but I don't always love to give grace. See, we don't do relationships well because we are not allowing the gospel to impact our lives so much so that it impacts our relationships because if we do, we will see mess and not run from it. Jesus didn't do that. He ran to it and got in on it. And he rolled up our sleeves and we get in there and do it. Bob Goff said this, love is never stationary. Love is a verb. James talks about not just saying Telling telling someone to keep warm and uh, and and to be at peace and to be well fed in James chapter two verse sixteen he he says this and then he goes on and says because what good is that that's the half brother of Jesus Paul said love is patient love is kind. How has your love demonstrated that this week? It does not envy, it doesn't boast. John said this, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and whoever loves is born of God and knows God. See this vertical line? Our love is tied to a love relationship with God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Our love does. Love does does. First John chapter 4 verse 9 and 10. It goes on. He says, "In this is the love of God, who made him made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love." I want you to hear that the gospel infuses our hearts with love so that we can be in a love relationship with those around us we can love better jesus said for god so loved the world even jesus love does love one another is the most often quoted one another in the bible here's another thing jesus uses it paul uses it jesus four times paul uh, three times peter one time john six time loving one another Every, Just about every writer of the New Testament, and not everyone, but every, just about every one, at least one of the main ones, they are all calling us to love one another. Even Paul goes on to talk about how the the law is fulfilled when we love one another in Romans chapter 13. And I know full well, entering into somebody else's mess is a part of love entering into their mess and rolling up my sleeves so that I actually get in their mess and help them out of their mess, that's no fun. I got my own things. Listen, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. And you don't feel your way into an action. You act your way into a feeling. You make that commitment that I'm gonna do what Jesus would do in this relationship, even if I don't feel like it. It's a life principle for you, jot it down. You don't feel your way into an action, you act your way into a feeling. See, knowing God, knowing God, that gives me a life of substance, okay? But being in a relationship with others, that brings significance because I start loving them as Christ loved me. Let's go back just to wrap it up to Highway One in Florida. What is it about us that keeps us from acting? When we see distress, when we see brokenness, what keeps us from loving well and caring well? What keeps us from that? Understanding the brain would be very helpful in how God wired us. The brain has several, obviously, lots of different components. There's one part of the brain located in between the, the temples of the brain, deep inside the brain, called the anterior cingulate cortex. We're just going to say ACC from this point forward, okay? Singular, all right, I'm just going to call it ACC. Okay, look it up. What it does inside your brain, when you see distress, when you see injustice, when you see brokenness, it actually lights up red, And it begins to see and can even feel empathy or sympathy for someone else. But that part of the brain does not move you to action. You might feel it and not do anything with it. Think about the the Levite priest and the Good Samaritan. He literally sees the person on the side of the road and he walks by on the other side of the road. Probably was moved into the ACC, but did nothing with it. Moved right on. There's another part of the brain, the DMFPC. Don't ask. The dorsal, uh, 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 don't ask. Look it up. DMFPC. That part of the brain. You can tell I'm really astute on this because I read up on it this week. Um, and I can't pronounce it. But this part of the brain lights up. When it lights up, you actually take action. It actually moves you, stopping your car, getting out of your car, going to the person on the side of the road with their hood up. And no matter what they're dressed like, you take action. You're seeing an injustice in the world. You want to take action. You, you, you see something, you take action. It's not just a, a, a something inside of you. You can't not not do something. This is what psychologists say about this. These two parts of the brain. The first part, The ACC. When you don't take action, it does not predict any kind of action. It's because whenever you're seeing that, it it is a them. It's Holly, I see you, and I see you're in pain. I see you. But it's whenever I look over here, and I see Michelle. And whenever I see her, and I'm one with her, She's my sister. She's been a part of our church since Reagan Elementary School when we first started. I've seen her kids grow up. I've seen her go through a lot. It's not just her life. It's us. It's we. Whenever we live in the them, we don't take action. When we live in the we, in the us, we take action. What I'm inviting you into is a relationship that is a we, that is an us. I want us to walk together in our faith relationship. I want you to be there for me and I want to be there for you. Starts with a relationship with Jesus and it moves out. And we don't cancel each other. We don't ghost each other. We don't shun each other. We stick with each other through it all, through the mess, no matter what. Would you bow your heads with me? Knowing God, first, most important, in a love relationship with God, Do you know Jesus like that? Or do you just know about Jesus? I invite you right where you sit to engage in a conversation with Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I've been in church, or I've been around church, or I haven't been in church, but I need a relationship with you, Jesus. A love relationship where you're first, and foremost in my life, you move from a love god to knowing God to loving people, and that knowing care, knowing God and loving people that that loving the people is loving your neighbor just like you love yourself. Who is it in your world right now that you need to step in and just be? The maybe the the hand of Jesus, maybe it's the ears of Jesus. You're just listening. I wanna bow. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray with you. Would you pray for me right now? As I pray for you right now? Because I want an us relationship. And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna... I have a couple of songs. And our first, first song, I don't want you to feel rushed to stand. I just want you to be, let the song just be sung over you. And just think about your relationship with God. You'll know if and when you are ever to stand and sing. Father God, this is your time. We are your people. Thank you for loving us in all of our mess. Not canceling us, shunning us, giving up on us, ghosting us, but entering into our mess. Rolling up your sleeves by dying on the cross for us so that we could be in a relationship with you. May we take that same standard and turn it to our neighbors, to our fellow church members, and love them the same way. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.